Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, as we uh, meet one last time for a little while here yet today, we pray that you'll be with us. We pray that you would give us the um, appropriate levels of caution and humility and just simple recognition of the human lack of foreknowledge. We want to take the inspired instruction for all that it's worth and nothing more. And I pray that you would guard us from jumping to conclusions because the truth is we know very little about the real details of things. Help us to, uh, to benefit from what you've instructed, but not to go beyond, not to imagine, not to make stuff up, not to think we know what we really don't, and yet to treat with utter confidence the instruction that you have given us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the title of this one is Omega, Nothing New Here. And that's a key thought. You'll see why. <clears throat> How are we ever going to resist a foe who is so much more intelligent and powerful than we are? And I would argue that a key element of that is by learning the lessons of history. The followers of Christ know little of the plots which Satan and his hosts are forming against them. But he who sits in the heavens will overrule all these devices for the accomplishment of his deep designs. The Lord permits his people to be subjected to the fiery ordeal of temptation, not because he takes pleasure in their distress and affliction, but because this process is essential to their final victory. He could not, consistently with his own glory, shield them from temptation, for the very object of the trial is to prepare them to resist all the allurements of evil. Just, just you know, kind of reread that here as I'm talking. Just, just think that through in your own head here. We take great delight in the promise that the Lord will not allow us to be tested or tempted above what we are able to bear. And, and God's people have depended on that promise. I've depended on that promise. Hopefully you've depended on that promise. It's a precious promise. But if you are Satan, what do you think of God keeping him from giving us his best sales pitch? How can you call that a fair test? Adam and Eve chose the knowledge of good and evil, and Satan will clearly say this is tampering with the judicial process to not even let me present my side. And like, kind of like that, that every earthly support, what seemed to be a terrible thing, turned out to be actually the goal. Similarly here. Temptation and trial is to prepare us. The very object of the trial is to prepare them to resist all the allurements of evil. How can God be true to his promise? He will not allow us to be tempted above what we are able to bear. And yet... Let Satan bring everything he has to bear upon us. The only way he can do both is to help us to grow to the point where we can bear everything that he can bring to bear upon us. Does that make sense? Are you with me on that? That's the whole purpose. <laughs> that's, that's a, I mean, that promise is not there so that we can say, well, I don't have to worry about that. I get a, I get a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know? Isn't that what it's there for? 
It's there so we have the time and opportunity to grow to the point where God can fulfill his promise and yet turn Satan loose, which is necessary in the end of time. Well, let's go on. We have nothing to fear for the future. That's good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go very quickly here. Um, <clears throat> Satan deceives and corrupts the world and makes men believe they are sinless and holy while sinning against God, but in so doing, he is only carrying on his original work. He has introduced no new arguments. He has created no new empire of darkness from which to draw supplies for the furtherance of his deceptions. And sin, that was sin in the beginning, is sin today. And sin, the apostle declares, is the transgression of God's law. The end of time, the omega apostasy, whatever you want to call it, we've seen it before. There's nothing new here. That's important. In these days, it is Satan's determined purpose to intensify sin by making it legal in the children of disobedience. This is a fascinating statement. Just kind of mold this one over. He is to reveal to the world and to heaven what is the order and result of a government carried on according to his ideas of administration and law. He is working with secret yet with intense zeal in both church and state to cause men to throw off all the restraints of God's law and take a decided stand with him in the ranks of rebellion. But when his work is accomplished, the Lord will interpose and vindicate his honor as the supreme ruler of the universe. What do you suppose it takes for his work to be accomplished? For him to be free, to do what he wants. Satan's eternal purpose wants to make it legal. Any interesting landmark legal rulings in the last little while that might lean that direction? Anything you can imagine? I happen to live in a different country at the moment, and things are unique and different up there. We have some challenges, shall we say? <clears throat> well, so we looked at those four, and the point is to try and understand these two. Let's look at the good side first. How are we going to do God's work? How's the loud cry going to go forward? Well, we've got a few simple things we can think of. Christ's method alone will give true success. We could try that. <laughs> it's the only way it's going to work. Why not try it? The great object that brought Christ to the earth was to reveal the Father. God is love. That was the great truth that Christ came to the world to reveal. The object of Christ's mission to the world is, was to reveal the Father. In all his ministry, all his self-denial and self-sacrifice, Christ's object was to reveal God to the world. That was his method. It's the only method that God has in his arsenal. I suggest it's the only weapon that we should carry with us. The world needs today what it needed, we could go up to 2,000 years now, a revelation of Christ. That's what it needs. What the world needs today is the light of Christ's example reflected from the lives of Christ-like men and women. This is why we're still here. Our role is mission critical to the plan of salvation. Hearts will be captivated, not by the glory of man, but by the inward adorning of an abiding Christ. It is the revelation of Christ in the man that captivates the hearts of men and women. They behold the beautiful character of Christ revealed by good works and good words. Proclamation is the explanation of the demonstration. 
But proclamation without demonstration is pretty much imagination. God's purpose in committing to men and women the mission he committed, we read this one before, this is the identical, I'm going to skip ahead. The glory of the character of Christ can never be expressed in words. Human language is inadequate to reveal it. It must be made manifest in the life. It is to be manifest in the individual Christian, in the family, in the church, in the ministry of the word, in every institution established by God's people. That's what we're here for, is to reveal the Father. Christ, the great medical missionary, is our example. He healed the sick. He preached the gospel. In his service, healing and teaching were linked closely together. Today, they are not to be separated. Medical missionary work is the means through which the truth will find entrance to the large cities, which will catalyze the, the, the loud cry. Okay? The Holy Spirit never has and never will in the future divorce the medical missionary work from the gospel ministry. They cannot be divorced. Bound up with Jesus Christ, the ministry of the word, and the healing of the sick are one. The union of Christ-like work for the body and Christ-like work for the soul is the true interpretation of the gospel. And once again, remember the definite article. It's not a true interpretation. It is the true interpretation. Okay. Well, we looked previously at this list, and we crossed off the first six. Okay? We've got three down there at the bottom. These are Satan's accusations against God and his government. What's God going to do about those down at the bottom there? We don't have time to look at all the details of these three accusations, but I can tell you they are fascinating, especially number seven. There is something special about these three. Each one is intricately connected with the fate of sinful human beings. In fact, the task of proving them false was something that Jesus, proving these three false, was something that Jesus could not accomplish by himself. To do so requires evidence from another source. In the character of God's people, a living testimony will be born that will contradict the fallacy of Satan who has declared that the law of Jehovah is arbitrary and holds its subjects under a cruel bondage. This is our job. This is where we're at. We ought to get on the same page. The Lord desires for his people to answer Satan's charge by showing the results of obedience to right principles. Okay, so let's take a quick look down through here. God's final work uses the same method that Christ used during his life on earth, the revelation of the character of God. God's final work requires that human beings take on the role Jesus played during his life on earth. I should probably reword that, because no, I don't mean he's, we're all supposed to be the Messiah. Okay, I, I, you know, obviously there's some limitations on that. I should be explicit in making sure nobody gets confused on that one. But the, the blended ministry of teaching, preaching, healing... That's what we need to do. I need to just rewrite that. The revelation of God's character cannot be accomplished through words alone. Acts of mercy and healing are also necessary. In short, God's final work is self-sacrificing medical missionary work. <laughs> that's, that's, you, know, you can call it anything you want. I don't care. There's nothing magical about that name. I really wish we didn't call it medical missionary work. You know, it wasn't until 1893. It was the first time that, we, that Ellen White ever used the expression medical missionary work. Before that, we called it the Christian help work or the benevolent work. And in some ways, I like that because when we start saying it's medical missionary, everybody says, well, I am not a doctor, so I guess I don't have to do anything about that. No, it's, it's not that way. <clears throat> okay. The truth for this time, the third angel's message is to be proclaimed with a loud voice, meaning with increasing power as we approach the great final test. This test must come to the churches in connection with the true... And I'm not going to give you the time to worry about it, but I usually ask, you know, a good Adventist audience, they'll say the true Sabbath. 
which is correct, but that's not what this statement says, must come to the churches in connection with the true medical missionary work, a work that has the great physician to dictate and preside in all that it comprehends. Okay. Hmm. Let's look. We're going to go back and forth a couple of times here. Looking at the Alpha and the Omega, the most obvious problem was the pantheism, belief that God is not a specific person, but some sort of an all-pervading non-entity. All men, saints and sinners alike, became at least partially divine because God is everywhere. Heavenly sanctuary became wherever God is. That was the whole point of the living temple uh, title, right? Beyond the philosophical elements, there were also clear indications of direct supernatural involvement. We've looked at some of these, uh, Lucifer's involvement there. It is not John Kellogg that you are dealing with. It is a being who once figured in the courts of heaven as an exalted angel. The poor doctor is not in his right mind. It is Satan's theories that are now coming to the front from the lips of Dr. Kellogg. Do not think that Kellogg is irreplaceable in that regard. Others can pronounce Satan's theories too. Spiritualism declares there is no death, no sin. Now, this is interesting. I'll just okay, introduce them a little bit. When we talk about spiritualism in the end of time, we usually think of Aunt Margaret coming back from the dead or something, right? Okay. And there is that element, and there's no question. But Ellen White also describes spiritualism in a more philosophical sense. Notice, notice this description of spiritualism. Spiritualism declares there is no death. Yeah, that's the Margaret thing, right? I don't... Apologies if I was named Margaret here. Uh, <laughs> Spiritualism declares there is no death, no sin, no judgment, no retribution, that men are unfallen demigods, that's pantheism pretty much, that desire is the highest law, that man is accountable only to himself, the barriers that God has erected to guard truth, purity, and reverence are broken down, and many are thus emboldened in sin. We are, as Adventists, we have very sensitive antennas, so to speak, for the dead spirits coming back part, okay? And, and we should. I'm not knocking that, okay? We sometimes, I think, we're a little blind on some of these more basic philosophical assertions, but that's spiritualism, okay? Now, the, perhaps the most basic thing to remember about Satan's last day attack is that it is counterfeit in nature. Something interesting about a counterfeit $20 bill. By its very nature... It has to look a lot like a real one. As the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. Okay, we've, we've probably all read Great Controversy. We know this. Different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself. Skipping down, shout of triumph rings out upon the air. Christ has come, Christ has come. We're all familiar with that counterfeit. But that's not all. Before the final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth, there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic times. The enemy of souls desires to hinder this work, and before the time for such a movement will come, he will endeavor to prevent it by introducing a counterfeit. Under a religious guise, Satan will seek to extend his influence over the Christian world. Now, what do you suppose primitive godliness as related to apostolic this, what do you suppose that might look like? The work of the, the apostles, the work of the apostolic church, which was patterned after the work of Christ, which happened to be a lot of teaching and healing. The last great delusion is soon to open before us. Antichrist is to perform his marvelous works in our sight. So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. By their testimony, every statement and every miracle must be tested. If 
the latter rain, loud cry, closing up of God's work, is largely carried on in the, something that we could recognize and we could label medical missionary work, what would a counterfeit look like? Satan can present a counterfeit so closely resembling the truth that it deceives those who are willing to be deceived. Now, this is fascinating. What does it take to be willing to be deceived? Do you have to sign a pact in blood? You have sold your soul to the devil? Sounds kind of dramatic. What does it take to be, in this class, willing to be deceived? And remember, 1 Thessalonians, they receive not the love of the truth, they should believe the lie. What does it take to be willing to be deceived? It's a reception of the very simple, fundamental principle of Lucifer's government the lie that says, I need to take care of myself. The sentence goes on. They desire to shun the self-denial and self-sacrifice demanded by the truth. Self-denial and self-sacrifice. That's the truth. If you don't receive a love of the truth, you will believe the lie. Make sense? You tracking with me? Self-denial, self-sacrifice keep coming up. We saw them this morning. The light has given me in regard to the poor understanding of those that have been in the truth that these sophistries and this mysticism and doing away with the personality of God and with the personality of Christ will get the whole room of the heart all ready for these miracles that Satan will come to work right in our midst. And we read this one before. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Miracles. There's going to be Miracles. What makes miracles so cool in medical missionary work? Why would they be so appealing? It saves a lot of work. <laughs> it saves a lot of self-denial and self-sacrifice. Medical missionary work is at its core self-denial and self-sacrifice. You are, you are expending your time, your effort, your energy, and your resources to help that person. Wouldn't it be cool if I could just, I pronounce you healed! I'm really bad at that, but you, know, you can see better on Sunday morning, right? Okay. <laughs> no self-sacrifice involved, no self-denial. Piece of cake. There's a certain appeal to that. <laughs> Wonderful scenes with which Satan will be closely connected will soon take place. God's word declares Satan will work miracles. He will make people sick and then will suddenly remove from them his satanic power. They will then be regarded as healed. These works of apparent healing will bring Seventh-day Adventists to the test. Many who have had great light will fail to walk in the light because they have not become one with Christ. His instruction is not palatable to them. What is his instruction? Lay down your life for your brother. Self-denial and self-sacrifice is the core of Christ's instruction. And if that is not palatable, those miracles are going to look pretty cool. <laughs> the shout of triumph rings out upon the air. Christ has come, Christ has come. The people prostrate themselves in adoration before him while he lifts up his hands and pronounces a, blessings, uh, a blessing upon them as Christ blessed his disciples when he was upon the earth. His voice is soft and subdued, yet full of melody. In gentle, compassionate tones, he presents some of the same gracious heavenly truths which the Savior uttered. He 
heals the diseases of the people. And then in his assumed character of Christ, he claims to have changed Sabbath to Sunday. He heals the diseases of the people. He's doing exactly what he has to do to look like Jesus because Satan will come in to deceive, if possible, the very elect. He claims to be Christ and he is coming in pretending to be the great medical missionary. Now, despite the devil's efforts to make his work look like God's work, there will be differences. Some of these won't be easily visible because Satan is a liar and he doesn't want people to understand what's really going on. So as a reminder, let's look again at the list of techniques that Lucifer used in heaven. The bad Kellogg used them in the Alpha, and it's safe to say that they'll be cropping up again in the Omega. Exploit position and trust as long as possible. Hide intentions from others, imply or insinuate without clear assertions, distort others' perceptions, maintain plausible deniability, shift responsibility to others, lie, abandon discredited positions without accepting responsibility for having advocated them, cite supporters as evidence of correctness, and appeal to sympathy. There's probably others. <laughs> but this is, this is the stuff that argues against self-denial and self-sacrifice. We don't know who's going to be using all these tactics. Unfortunately, we're told that there will be surprising apostasies in the end of times. We shouldn't be overly suspicious, of course. Neither should we be so naive as to allow someone to lead us away from Christ and his methods. Christ's method alone gives true success. The union of Christ-like ministry of the body and Christ-like ministry of the soul give true success. Self-sacrifice and self-denial, laying down your life for your brother or your sister, gives true success. Other stuff doesn't. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a nurse. It doesn't have to be medical. You can do medical missionary work by raking leaves for a little old lady. Now, maybe the trees down here don't drop leaves. I don't know. But you know, in other places, they do. Okay, And they get to be a problem. And there's little old ladies that you know, they can't go out there and rake the leaves. They love it when you help them. The Christian help band is a simple, simple thing. Here's this kid going to school with a, a hoodie, and it's 15 degrees below zero. You don't probably have that problem here. Get the kid a jacket, <laughs> okay, you know? Somebody can't find work. Help them find a job. Can you imagine how cool it would be if Seventh-day Adventists could establish some sort of a job-finding placement, whatever, office, and offer their services for free? That would be, like, a really practical thing to do. If I knew how to find work, I would maybe do that, but... <laughs> That's not been my... <laughs> Anyhow, let's go on before I say something more embarrassing. Let's go. <clears throat> the enemy of souls has sought to bring in the supposition that a great reformation was to take place among Seventh-day Adventists and that this reformation would consist in giving up the doctrines and standards, the pillars of our faith and engaging in a process of reorganization. Were this reformation to take place, what would it result? Okay, now this is Ellen White's summation of Kellogg's apostasy in the early 1900s. And what she's saying is, if this thing had gone a little further, what would it have gone into? In other words, here's the alpha. If it had grown, this is what it would look like. And my argument is, when it's full grown, we're going to call it the omega. 
So this is one of the most specific and, and, and useful statements trying to understand all this thing, okay? So one of the best pictures of implying at least, you know, the elements that we will find in the omega of apostasy. The principles of truth that God in his wisdom has given to the remnant church, this is continuing on that same statement, would be discarded. Our religion would be changed. The fundamental principles that have stained the work for the last 50 years would be accounted as error. A new organization would be established. Books of a new order would be written. A system of intellectual philosophy would be introduced. The founders of this system would go into the cities and do a wonderful work. The Sabbath, of course, would be lightly regarded as also the God who created it. Nothing would be allowed to stand in the way of this new movement, of the new movement. Oh, boy, there's a lot of little details we could focus on here. The fundamental principles. What are the fundamental principles? Fundamental principles would be changed, that was this, uh, would be accounted as error. Okay, so think of some fundamental principles. You know, somebody might come along one day saying, you know, ah, that was all mistaken. Right? I like the one about books of a new order would be written. You gotta love that one. Every time somebody publishes a book that somebody else doesn't like, you know, I've seen this from both sides of, of every divide imaginable in Adventism over the last 50 years. You know, that's a book of a new order right there. <laughs> we throw that one around with, with happy abandon. It's, it's kind of fun. Um, a system of intellectual philosophy would be introduced. What's the alternative to intellectual philosophy? I'd suggest it's practical work, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's not to say that intellectual philosophy is all wrong. There's a place for being intellectual. Ellen White clearly makes that case, and there's a case for having a philosophy of your Christian approach to life. But if that's all you've got is intellectual philosophy, you don't have much. Go down and do some medical mission work. Get out and help somebody. Founders of the system would go into the cities and do a wonderful work. Now, in Dr. Kellogg's day, that would have been the medical or the, uh, the Chicago mission in which he was pouring huge amounts of money. He was, he was a, a great fundraiser. The guy was, like, fantastic. He was, a, he was a, a, a cash vacuum. And he was sucking up all the money of the Adventist church and pouring it into Chicago. Now, oh, man, there's, there's so many neat things and, and little details. Just going willy-nilly and giving away money and helping people is not the answer either. Okay, that's what Kellogg did. Is, is actually, he was spending huge amounts of money down in Chicago, so much so that the, the, the evangelistic work was suffering, so much so that the missionaries in Australia were, were underfunded for the entire time that Ellen White was over there. That did not make her happy. Uh, you can read lots of interesting comments about that. Um, there is a balance on all this sort of stuff. Kellogg was, was using up all this money, and he was doing it in ways that seemed so, so, so nice and holy. There's a balance. There's a balance. We've got to strike the balance. Jesus, remember Jesus, he, he, he came to, I think it was Capernaum. I, I may be off on that. Capernaum on a Sabbath, you know, and they waited until after sundown, and everybody came and brought all the sick people, and he healed them all. Early the next morning, he's out praying. The disciples come, oh, Jesus, the crowd's back again. He says, it's time for me to go. <laughs> yeah, I have other cities to go to. Okay. There's, there's, there's fascinating principles all through this whole thing. i got to go on. The leaders would teach that virtue is better than vice. Well, praise the Lord for that much. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a shame when it's worse. <laughs> but God being removed... They would place their dependence on human power, which without God is worthless. <clears throat> their foundation would be built on the sand, and storm and tempest would sweep away the structure. 
Kellogg went into the cities and he did a great work. And he largely divorced himself from the spiritual work. His, his spiritual content got thinner and thinner and thinner and more and more and more ambiguous and pantheistic. Okay? He was not preaching the three angels' messages in Chicago. There's an interesting... Uh, let's see, maybe I'll, I'll come back to that point, I think, later. Hold that thought, we'll come back to it. It is easy to get distracted doing purely humanitarian work. You know, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's actually more fun. Once you've experienced it, just helping people, is, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. It's, it's fun. But it's easy to get caught up doing nothing but whatever it is you're doing, medical, dental, whatever, those are all good things, and neglect to do anything about the gospel. That's not love. That's selfishness masquerading as, as, as benevolence. How can you say, I really want to help this person up to a certain point, but when it comes to saving his soul, nah, I'm not really into that. That is not love. <laughs> that is just kind of dumb. It's easy to get distracted. I fear that there are some who are so distracted. An example. Adventist Peace Fellowship, very strongly ecumenical group. It's one of 27 peace fellowships. There's a Baptist Peace Fellowship, Catholic Peace Fellowship, Hindu Peace Fellowship, Zen Peace Fellowship. Doctrine is not really a dividing issue there. They advocate good things, humanitarian things. They want to make the world better. I, I think this is, if I'm not mistaken, that's like a, oh, some sort of a gym, whatever. And you got all these people working for an absolute pittance, digging out these precious stones, and, and then some company making a lot of money over it. So it's, it's, it's a gross inequity situation. That's what the picture's about. Okay? But notice... You may not be able to read down here in the bottom, so I'll blow that up for you there. They advocate Sabbath economics. We support debt relief for developing nations and a preferential option for the poor. Sabbath? <laughs> if that's all we're going to say on the fourth commandment, then I think we kind of missed that particular boat. Okay? Now, I, don't, don't focus on this operation and these particular people they may be doing more that I'm, I'm, that I'm not aware of. But if that's all we have to say on the Sabbath, that's not the three angels' messages. Okay, so notice we're back at looking at the statement again. It talks about here, um, notice the, the highlighted section there. Their foundation would be built on the sand and storm and tempest would sweep away the structure. What is that an allusion to? built on the sand. What's that talking about? The wise man built his house upon a rock, right? That whole thing, okay? Storm and tempest would sweep away the structure. In the parable, we are told of no differences between the two houses other than the foundation. They, they could have been, you know, cookie-cutter tract houses for all we know. They had the same shingles on the outside. They look exactly the same, but the foundation was different. What's important is that it was a single storm. 
It was one storm. The same storm hit both houses. One foundation held, one foundation fell. What's the storm? That's the question. What is the storm and tempest that sweeps away the false, the counterfeit of God's work? What is that storm and tempest? When is that storm and tempest? I'm going to suggest that the name we use for that usually is the little time of trouble. I'm not a prophet. That's significantly above my pay scale. But it's easy for me to believe that it might be coming soon. The world is kind of balanced on a knife edge on, on a lot of things. Political, financial, medical. Start looking at you know, drug-resistant infections and some of those things. There's a lot of weird things that could happen. You get a good flu uh, you know, coming through with the wrong characteristics. There are a lot of issues, just cultural issues, cultural divides between what I consider acceptable and the next guy considers acceptable. There's a lot of tension in our world. And the media has built us into a kind of a frenzy where everybody feels like they have to stand for their thing. And it's, it's, it's really quite amazing. Um, as I say, I live in a different country, and, 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 and they're ahead of you at, up there in some ways. And, and very literally, the only thing you can do that's unacceptable in Canada at this point, I mean, you can murder people, that's not accepted yet either, but, but, but basically, philosophically speaking, the only thing you can do that's unacceptable is say that what you're doing is unacceptable. It's an interesting situation. If, if, a, if an individual with both X and Y chromosomes came walking into my store in Canada, I don't have a store, but if I, you know, hypothetically speaking, hope your biology is up to this, but anyhow, if an individual with both X and Y chromosomes came walking into my business enterprise and said, please call me Sally, and I used a masculine pronoun referring to that individual, that is a federal offense that I could face jail time. Yeah. Anyhow, so as I'm saying, there are issues. The world is kind of in a precarious position, right? I suspect, and I'm not a prophet, but I suspect that we will see a progressive collapse of things that we take for granted today. Law and order, I think it's going to decline. Medical care, I think, is going to decline. If, I mean, if, if the government can't do that for us, I don't know, how, you know what we would depend on. But you know, just, it would be easy to overwhelm our medical system in, in North America, all of North America, and probably everywhere else in the world with a, with a, a good contagious flu. You know? The, the antibiotic-resistant you know, there's a lot of things going on. Gonorrhea is on the rise. It's an easy prevention for that. Um, but anyhow, when law and order declines, when medical care declines, when welfare payments are no longer available because the political system is struggling, the financial system goes down, the, the stock market collapses, whatever, when it comes to the point where it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world and every man for himself, Storm and tempest sweeps away the structure, and the selfish heart says, I'm not giving that to you. And humanitarian effort ceases. 
Jesus once put his disciples into such a position intentionally, I think, to serve as an illustration for us. He turned around one day and he said to Philip, there's a lot of people here, why don't you feed them? And Philip, being a rational guy, after my own heart, he said, that would cost a lot of money. <laughs> and Jesus said, have them sit down. I got this. And when the world goes to perdition in a penny purse, and everything falls apart around us, and storm and tempest sweep away all false forms of humanitarian assistance, God's people continue to practice self-denying, self-sacrificing service. Why? Because God has promised their bread and water. And so here's a guy who's hungry. He's, he's just, just an average Joe who's watched the world fall, around, fall apart around him. He hasn't had a job. He hasn't got any money. He's hungry. And I see him, and I say, man, you look hungry. Here's a sandwich. But he's got a little decency in his heart. He says, I can't take your sandwich, man. You, you got to eat too. No, no, seriously, take the sandwich. No, I can't take your sandwich. You need the sandwich. You're hungry. When was the last time you ate? Three days ago. Eat the sandwich. No, I can't take your sandwich. I don't have to worry about it. You take the sandwich. What do you mean you don't have to worry about it? God has my back. You don't have that. Take the sandwich. But if you want to know how God can have your back? I can give you a little Bible study. <laughs> can you imagine the leverage that you could exert in that situation? The demonstration of, of ridiculously audacious faith that God is honoring because this guy's still alive when it's dog-eat-dog -dog world and he's giving away food for crying out loud. That's powerful stuff. In the last scenes of this earth's history, war will rage. There will be pestilence, plague, and famine. The waters of the deep will overflow their found boundaries. Property and life will be destroyed by fire and flood. If you are a competent physician, you are qualified to do tenfold more good as a missionary for God than if you were to go forth merely as a preacher of the word. I would advise young men and women to give heed to this matter. Perilous times are before us. The whole world will be involved in perplexity and distress. Disease of every kind will be upon the human family. And such ignorance as now prevails concerning the laws of health would result in great suffering and the loss of many lives that might be saved. What an opportunity for ministry. The government, bless them, the government has stolen from the church its mandate of caring for people. The media has educated us to be ungrateful for anything that we receive. When was the last time you saw somebody get a welfare check and say, oh, I just love the government. I, just, I am so happy. I'm so thankful that I got my welfare check. We don't do that. That's not the way our minds work anymore. Because a welfare check does not carry with it any sense of self-sacrifice and self-denial. If someone is dependent on assistance and they see the guy give them the sandwich, they begin to have some gratitude. And gratitude is gold when it comes to soul winning. 
As religious aggression subverts the liberties of our nation, those who would stand for freedom of conscience will be placed in unfavorable positions. For their own sake, they should, while they have opportunity, become intelligent in regard to disease, its causes, prevention, and cure. And those who do this will find a field of labor anywhere. There will be suffering ones, plenty of them who will need help, not only among those of our own faith, but largely among those who know not the truth. Medical, missionary, work. The foundation of Christianity is Christ, our righteousness. The storm comes through, and it cannot destroy that foundation. But selfishness lies at the foundation of all sin. And the storm comes through, and the selfish heart says, I'm keeping that for myself. In the last great conflict of the controversy with Satan, those who are loyal to God will see every earthly support cut off. This is the same sequence as we had this morning, I guess it was, whenever it was. What appears to be a terrible ordeal is actually the goal. Isn't that kind of cool? I like that, just because it warps my brain so badly. <laughs> this thing that I thought was just, just, oh no, oh, it's going to be terrible, is actually exactly the experience that God wants for me, because that's what I need. So what's the storm and tempest going to look like? Well, I'm not a prophet. It's above my pay scale. I told you that. Take this as a thus saith Dave. You know how important that is, right? Okay. Here's what, I've, here's what I see. Well, separation of healing from soul winning, the devil's always been trying to do that. So you can, you can assume that there will be that being advocated. There will be mistaken science. There will be a derision of standards, doctrines, and the spirit of prophecy. Remember with Kellogg's case? Don't say anything until they take their stand against inspiration, right? I mean, that was the issue, right? When they take their decided stand against the testimonies, that was the, to the time to act, okay? So yeah, that's going to be happening. It doesn't have to be, let me hide that for a second, to... to what do I say here? Uh, to deride doctrine, standards, spirit prophecy, Bible, such things, does not take some formal motion or some great pronounced something either. Notice this statement. By a careless sneer, a turn of the head, or words of scorn and derision, a wrongdoer may set in motion an influence freighted with evil. An evil insinuation once started will spread rapidly, carried from mind to mind. It was by the expression of such thoughts that Satan placed in the minds of the angels that rebellion spread among them. The most dangerous thing I see that we as a church have to contend with are those who simply mock and deride the mission and the function and the teaching of the church. And it's so easy to do. I'm a bit of a cut-up myself at times. It's not hard. I used to be a school teacher. It's really easy to influence teenagers. <laughs> That's a part of the storm and the tempest. It may not be the highest profile, but it's going to be one of the most damaging. 
There will be selfish church officials. There were certainly selfish church officials in Kellogg's day. It's interesting. Most everything that Ellen White complained about Kellogg, she acknowledged actually started across the street at the Review and Herald and the General Conference. It started there and then Kellogg adopted it. Not all, but many of those who claim to be children of God have become so self-centered, so selfish, so full of idolatry of self that they are jealous, mistrustful of everyone whom they have an idea will, as they suppose, outshine them. Therefore, there is strife and bitterness, evil thinking and evil speaking, emulation and hatred. This is the reason that the Lord cannot endure the sentiments that are being brought into the life and character of the responsible men in the Review and Herald office. Are they, are they teaching against the 2300 days? No, they're just being selfish. Selfishness is actually a very big issue. Inappropriate spending. Money. Uh, okay, let me see if I can even remember. How, how's that wise saying go? Uh, a penny saved is a penny earned type of thing, right? If the devil can spend $1,000 doing something that ought not to be done, it's $1,000 is not being spent on what ought to be done. That was a problem in Kellogg's day. There will be misdirection of workers, same sort of idea. It's just the allocation of assets. You can spend money in a foolish way. You can put people to working at foolish tasks. It's a problem. There will be shifting strategies. Kellogg could shift strategies so fast that people would, their, their heads would spin. <laughs> It's an interesting thing in, in uh, some, um, what's the word I wanted to say? Um, uh, I can't think of how I want to say it. But, you know, in, in some, in some um, not so much in, within the Adventist church, but with, in some theological, quote-unquote, or spiritual uh, movements, it's like they change the name of what they're doing about every six months. So by the time somebody figures out, oh, this is a problem, they don't even call it that anymore. <laughs> it's just, it's shifted, right? It's shifted. We've got a new thing going on now. Kellogg became a keen uh, utilizer of lawyers. There can be honest lawyers. I like to think I know some. <laughs> but Ellen White was scathing in her reaction to the binding up of workers under certain kinds of contracts, the controlling influence of this institution over that institution. She just, boy, yeah, you just read what she had to say about that. That was a big issue. Let's go on. Selfish, way back here I said selfish church officials. Selfishness has a way of growing. And eventually it, it pushes you to the place where in order to get what you want, you have to, not just be selfish, but you have to be dishonest about it to get there. It happened. I think it'll happen again. That button didn't go the right way. Let's try that one. Okay. There will come a point where there are deliberate plots and conspiracies. We saw it in, in their references to Kellogg's. Not just people doing unfortunate and mistaken things, but people deliberately trying to do that which they know is contrary to the best interests of the church. Clueless lay members. You know, I've been reading through all the correspondence between Ellen, uh, into the Elmshaven office from A.G. Daniels, W.W. Prescott, about half a dozen or more other people. Oh, it's so fascinating to watch them going through this period with Kellogg, trying to figure out what to do next. You know, they, they, 
It's, it's, it's tough. There's high levels of confusion going on. There's going to be a lot of us, probably myself included, who are sitting here saying, I don't know what to do next. Appeal to reputation, appeal to sympathy. I put hypnosis and mysticism down near the end. That's not necessarily to say that it comes chronologically at the end. There are elements of those sort of things that have been kicked around for quite a while, actually. I first ran into it personally in 1985. So that's been, what, 85? 32 years ago. I ran into a traveling, itinerant, Seventh-day Adventist advocate of hypnosis and mysticism. It was an interesting thing. The trend is still... It's out there. You'll run into it if you look for it. Or it looks for you. I put this one here. Minimal identification of apostasy. What I mean by that is the same thing as we talked about with God did nothing to help the other angels. Jesus didn't point out Lucifer. Ellen White said, be quiet about Kellogg. Right? All those things. It's, 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 I don't think that we have any reason to expect it to be different. We're not going to have the liberty or the freedom or the, the, the uh, convenience of someone standing there with a big sign and saying, these elements of the world and Adventism are apostate. Avoid them. We're not going to have that. Now, I get a kick out of those who, who feel appointed to put up signs of that nature. There are, you know, some good-hearted souls who want to warn the whole world about that sort of stuff. Um, I, I think that there's a minimal amount of that. It's a fascinating comment that Ellen White made. She was writing to A.G. Daniels and W.W. Prescott. Prescott was editor of the Review and Herald at that point. And she wrote and she said, let there not be too many articles that will stir up the doctor in the Review and Herald. Let there not be too many articles that will stir up the doctor. How many is too many? <laughs> I don't know. And Daniels kept writing and says, can we do something about it now? And she kept writing back and saying, no, wait. <laughs> really kind of a funny environment to try and function in. Eventually, there will be the blatant rejection. I put spirit of prophecy just because that's what it was in Kellogg's day, but maybe it, maybe it extends to all inspiration. I don't know. That's kind of a signal point. Well, let's see. <clears throat> Finish up here. I'm sorry, I'm longer than I want to be. God desires everyone to understand the hateful character of selfishness and to cooperate with him in guarding his human family against its terrible deceptive power. The first result of the entrance of sin into the world was the birth of principles of selfishness. The design of the gospel, catch this, the design of the gospel is by means of remedial missionary work to confront this evil of selfishness and destroy its destructive power by establishing enterprises of benevolence. What does that mean, remedial missionary work? Where is the remedy being applied? That's us. That's the church that needs the remedy. You don't have to put up your hands, but did anybody take a English 101 bonehead remedial English course, right? Or remedial math when you went to college? Yeah, sometimes we're a little, you know, not quite up to speed. Selfishness is not up to speed in God's work. 
And so God intends to confront this evil. Is that what it said? Confront this evil of selfishness and destroy its destructive power. Enterprises of benevolence, helping people. A remedial mission. I think that's a fascinating statement. Closing up, closing up here. Because so little effort. Oh, oh, okay, so what, what do we do now? What do we do now? You know, it's, it's always nice to have all sorts of theory and all sorts of you know, prognostications about the future, but what do I do today? Here's a couple of humble suggestions. Because so little effort has been made to engage young men and women in the missionary work which must be done to bring the gospel invitation to all, there is but one worker where there should be a hundred. The indifference which is manifested for suffering humanity is charged against churches and families and individuals. Why? Because so little effort has been made to engage young men and women in the missionary work. So do you want to do something today? Do whatever you can do to get people, young people especially, involved in gospel medical missionary evangelism. Why young people? You know, I still feel young. You know, in my, you know, in, in my own mind, I'm, I'm basically like 17 still, actually. But um, I never have been good at growing up, particularly. But you know, why young people? Well, it's because they exert a, a disproportionate influence. It's weird what they can do. You know, up until like their early 20s, they're not so far removed from the youth that, or from the teenagers that they're considered total aliens. You know. And they can still actually influence downstream kind of that way. You say, eh, you know, it's, uh, it's a little harder, you know, for you get a little older, okay? And when you see a 23-year-old a or something like this, you know, who's doing something cool and intelligent and, and, and you know, in six weeks' time, you know, they're going to be 23, 24, 25-year-olds at Pathway to Health. And there are going to be people coming through this and they're saying, that badge you're wearing, it says you're a volunteer. Are you trying to tell me that nobody's getting paid to do this? No, nobody's getting paid to do this. And it says that you came from New Hampshire. You really came all the way from New Yeah, I came from New Hampshire. Why did you come from New Hampshire to Phoenix to help people like me? Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And this middle-aged gentleman is going to say, why didn't I do anything like that when I was 23? And then he's going to say, oh yeah, I was in college and I was drunk the whole year. <sighs> There's something about seeing young people do smart stuff that's very, very influential. It's amazing, actually. I think it's because we have kind of a low expectation for our young people. We expect them to be idiots. Sometimes they live up to our expectations. You know, I'm Sometimes they rise above them, right? I suggest rising above. Actually, I used to tell my students all the time, I said, you know, the more stupid the world gets, it's actually, it's actually to your advantage. It's so much easier to stand out from the crowd. You know? I mean, seriously. <laughs> Closing up. Unless there are those who will devise means of turning to account the time, strength, and brains of the church members, there will be a great work left undone that ought to be done. Haphazard work will not answer. We want men, and I would include women, no need to be sexist here, we want people in the church who have ability to develop in the line of organizing and giving practical work to young men and women. 
in the line of relieving the wants of humanity. We need people who are trained or, or are skilled in lining up medical missionary work to bring in 100 kids. 100 kids by themselves are not going to be able to line that up. We need people who can line that up. That's what Pathways is doing. It's kind of a cool thing. In the line of relieving the wants of humanity and working for the salvation of the souls of men, women, youth, and children. Not just, hey, we can bring your blood pressure down and we can get you off your diabetic medication in 11 days. That's great. I'm so happy you can do that. I think diabetes is a wonderful disease. I think the Lord created diabetes just so we can have something to, to help people with. But you know what? If that's all we help them with, they still lose their soul. <laughs> Don't tell me that you love them so much you want to just help them with their diabetes. But you're not going to have the guts to even offer to pray with them? Don't give me that. <laughs> okay, you have been very patient. The saints are known for being patient. I thank you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I just pray your blessing upon everyone here. I pray your blessing upon your church, upon its leaders, upon those who are in positions of responsibility and influence, upon those of us who should be learning how, learning how to line up work for practical gospel, medical, missionary evangelism for young people. Lord, help us to grasp hold of this remedial work, maybe just because we need the remedy. We pray that you will go with us, that you would prepare us for the times ahead, that you would help us to, de to cut away from every earthly support. May we cling to you, may we trust you, may we have faith that says, God has my back, I can work for others. May we, in fact, refute the principles of Satan's rebellion, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.